When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, I would start with the immediate and then work further and further back. So what is immediate is the sanctions that are going against the Russia Central Bank. This is Tom Fox. Welcome to Compliance Into the Weeds, a podcast where with my good friend and colleague, Matt Kelly, we take a deep dive into a compliance topic. In this episode, we take a look at the Russian invasion of Ukraine. What are some of the implications for the compliance professionals? in the United States and in that geopolitical region. We also look at what companies can and should do right now and the responses of their employees leading many of these efforts. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back again with Matt Kelly for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds, a little bit more somber episode today as we're going to take up some issues that uh, we think uh, we've been thinking about and we think you should think about around Ukraine. So, Matt, that somber opening introduction, welcome back. Thank you, Tom. It is uh, good to be here, even under these unsettling times. Thomas Friedman, Tom Friedman, had an op-ed in the Times Sunday where he essentially said, I try to use the phrase, try to avoid using the phrase unprecedented, that we've never seen this before. But he said, I don't think we've ever seen this before. And then he went on to explain the changes that may be wrought uh, because of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. But from our angle, uh, you, you wrote a great blog post on it today. And not only do countries have to make a decision now, but companies have to make a decision now. So um, maybe you could uh, articulate what you think companies have to come to grips with now, both on the business side of things and on the ethical side of things, and how our calculus has changed so much in the last week. Well, I, I did give a lot of thought to that um, because I have seen some publications and thought leadership out there about compliance implications of Ukraine around, say, sanctions or export controls and things like that. And those are good, thoughtful pieces that are out there. We can talk about those issues later if we want. But at another level, that's really kind of the secondary issue at the moment. And especially last week during those first few days, where I thought the biggest point was really that companies just had to take a side on this. And they had to really decide, are we about doing business and making profit regardless of politics and values, or are we in favor of some definitive ethical values, such as democracy, self-determination, and the rule of law? You had to pick a side, period. Um, Now, I am thrilled that since then, just about every company in the West has very clearly and emphatically said, we are on the side of the West, capital W, you know, whether it's United States or EU companies or even Far East uh, businesses like Japan and Australia and other businesses around the world. But very clearly, they are aligning with those values. And I get it. They're aligning with those values because 
regulators around the world in the United States, the European Union, Britain, Canada, Japan, Australia, elsewhere have all made very clear, this is what we are going to do against Russia. And the subtext for all companies was, and you had goddamn better well following with that line. And they all have. To Some of them really have done so at great financial pain. Um, but, you know, I think of all companies, um, some of the really giant ones that we would be very cynical about, like BP and ExxonMobil dumping their Gazprom and other Russian oil interests, that's going to cost them quite a bit of money. Um, nonetheless, they're going to do it. Uh, airlines that have had to reassess their air routes because they're no longer going to be flying through Russian airspace or doing service to Russia. Uh, one small example was Fin Air uh, in Finland, which does a lot of business flying people from Europe to Asia by way of Russia. They're not going to do that anymore. They're going to have to take some sort of short-term financial hit. Um, but there's a lot of businesses now, the airlines, the banks, the energy companies. Just today, finally, some of the big tech companies are getting in on this as well. Apple Pay has been disconnected in Russia. So if you're in Moscow, for example, you can't use Apple Pay in the subway. Uh, Facebook has said that it will no longer have RT Russia today. I think only in Europe. I hope they will see the sense and just deplatform RT worldwide. Uh, Google has done that. Going to see it over and over and over again. Companies are just going to fly away from anything to do with Russia. It's going to be a, a gigantic version of North Korea. You just you don't touch it. So that's my first point. Now, my second point is that I think for a lot of companies, they will have to think about how they want to support employees who are very distraught, anxious, uneasy uh, about what is going on here. Um, I think especially if you have employees in Russia, what are they going to do? The very real possibility that thanks to sanctions, those employees in Russia might not have a job or might not be getting paid within days. Um, I think some Western businesses are already struggling to figure out how do they actually pay any employees in Russia. There may not be no good answer for them. Uh, and if you have employees in Ukraine, what are you going to do to help them physically? How are you going to make sure that they're alive? How are you going to make sure their families are okay? How are you going to make sure that they might be getting paid? Um, I think it was International Fragrances and Flavors announced that it is going to be drawing down cash reserves to make sure its employees in the Ukraine still have paychecks. I can't imagine they're working at the moment, but questions like that. But even beyond the Ukraine and Russian employees and maybe others in the immediate area, Tom, I was just struck by the, I don't know about you, but I felt a real pit in my stomach late last week that this could spiral out of control into a much wider conflict. What does that mean for the survival of Western Europe or for the world in general? I think Vladimir Putin is mentally unhinged and I don't put it past him to use nuclear weapons under the wrong situation. So you'd have to think with about your employees. How can you be there to offer them some sort of support? Uh, it's, it feels a lot to me like it did during the uh, COVID lockdowns in March and April of 2020. A lot of people just terrified of what might be happening, and their companies had to offer them some sort of basically emotional and financial and logistical support that we are still going to be here. I think there's a certain degree of that is true right now, too. Companies that have employees in the Ukraine um, should, well, I think they need to start thinking about now, if they haven't already, 
evacuation. The employees in Russia, I think, are unfortunately in a different yep. kettle yep. because they may be looking at uh, some sort of restraint or imprisonment if they're viewed as um, some sort of threat to the regime. And given how far Putin has gone down the road with this insanity, um, that's one of the fears that I have right now. I guess I'm less concerned about the, the potential nuclear option, but there doesn't seem to be an end game here for Putin, and there doesn't seem to be an off-ramp for him. He's taken steps that he can't pull back from without losing face, and I'm not sure he's going to to give diplomacy that option to give him that uh, given how badly it's gone, I think they probably thought they'd be in Kiev toasting with a vodka right now, and they're nowhere near that. You know, that's probably true, uh, and we can definitely talk about you know his endgame, the geopolitical situation, uh, in a moment. I, I do think it's true now, today, Monday, when we're recording at least, that I think the threat of nuclear escalation has greatly receded. And I don't know that it was ever great at the be- to begin with. But I do think that last Wednesday, last Thursday and Friday, when Putin was throwing around those terms, um, I think people did wonder, is this really going to come to it? I wondered that. And I, am, I was struck by, in March and April of 2020, one thing that did happen at a lot of companies was calls to their ethics and compliance hotlines went up. Uh, And they went up fairly sharply because a lot of people were simply uneasy and scared about what their future was. And companies had to be able to try to offer them something, some sort of sense of solace and protection. I do think people are often scared at situations like this, whether it's this with the Ukraine, COVID, possibly the financial crisis in 2008, possibly right after the September 11th attacks in 2001. I was not there for the Cuban Missile Crisis, but I wonder about that, too, Uh, that, you know, people, when they feel like they are powerless in the face of events larger than they can control, they look for other institutions larger than them to see if they can glom onto that. And I think that is something that people want to see now, Um, even if the immediate threats to most people in the world have receded although they are still very present for people in Ukraine and possibly Poland and some other adjoining nations, even if that has receded for most of us, um, I think there's still something for people want to see that they are on the good side. There, are, I'm, I'm with other people who believe like me, and I think Putin is terrible. I think he should be stopped, and I want to see that larger forces than me are agreeing with that, and I can glom onto them. gives people inspiration, gives them resolve. So I think it's very rewarding and appropriate to see so many Western businesses just fleeing from all things Russia, perhaps under the pressure of U.S. government and EU governments clearly saying we expect all businesses to follow suit. I don't care. The why they're doing it doesn't matter so much as the doing of it does. That's what matters. That's what people want to see. That's what gives them support and succor in these times of great uncertainty. So I think that that matters. We're going to have a quick word from our sponsor and be right back.
I think uh, there's going to be, if I can maybe uh, shift our focus a little bit to some business issues, I think there's going to be a major shift in ways that certainly we can talk about now and that we can't see now. And I'm going to pick on energy because I can see a little bit into that. Sure. Russia is the second largest producer behind Saudi Arabia uh, in the world. I think the EU, as our geo region, is the fourth largest consumer of energy. There's very little energy actually produced in uh, the EU, although there are apparently huge shale fields in Poland uh, and, of course, the North Sea in Eng- England and Norway. But if Russia is cut off from sending out its energy, and it loses its really its technical partners, BP, Shell, Exxon. Uh, they provide the technical expertise to pull the uh, minerals out of the ground. And there's an open market now that is in desperate need of energy. That's the EU. Uh, we could see a major shift from uh, the United States, for instance, could be a net energy exporter again, certainly with a variety of of energy products, obviously fossil fuels, but it could be natural gas uh, or it could be others uh, put into the mix. How does a company start to think about those types of issues and what what policies and procedures can they put in place if uh, now a almost trillion dollar energy market uh, just appears on the world stage? How How does the company start to think through that? Well, I would start with the immediate and then work further and further back. So what is immediate is the sanctions that are going against the Russia Central Bank, various other banks, various other businesses. Um, Those are already going into effect right now. Uh, If we have time and we want to talk about exactly what effect that's going to have on Russia, that would be fine, because I think people underestimate just what a severe economic problem Russia is about to encounter. But we have sanctions that we need to think about right now, today, especially if you're in the financial services sector. You're probably not listening to us. I wish you were, but you probably should be reading through legal bulletins, FINRA uh, FinCEN announcements, OFAC announcements. Uh, You're going to see a lot of that right away. Sanction screening compliance is going to become much more onerous at one level. On the other level, it's like, is it Russian? Can't do it. Period. If you think a transaction has even the faintest whiff of Russia, your probable best move is just to get out of the room. But okay, now there's sanctions compliance. What comes next after that? Quarterly filings for, uh, let's see, first quarter is already well underway. So you're going to have your 10Q filings by mid-April, late April or so. You're going to have to start thinking about uh, write-downs of assets in Russia that you're going to have to just cut your losses. BP, I think, is looking at a $20 billion investment in Rosneft that it's going to cut. Uh, ExxonMobil is looking at that. Citibank has already said it's going to have to write down $10 billion in assets and securities it had tied into Russia that it's not going to bother with. Not the end of the world. For example, if you're Citibank, you're on probably $2 trillion in assets on Citibank. So $10 billion is not really that much money. But nonetheless, you have to start thinking through, what are my exposures in Russia? How are we going to write this down? What is the value of this? We're going to have to impair it. Um, we're going to have to disclose that within the next eight weeks, max. Um, you're going to have to think about what are the material risks that you're going to have to disclose in the MDNA, things like that. So we've gone from compliance risks to financial reporting risks. Okay, now we're out of Q1. 
We have to think even a bit longer term. We're going to have to start thinking about uh, supply chain risks. That is definitely going to be an issue. Uh, it could well be an issue because cyber attacks coming up through the cybersecurity chain might manifest. My favorite is that Russian EV charging stations at the moment, they were hacked by Ukrainian suppliers of those Russian charging stations who then started making displays of the charging stations in Russia saying Putin sucks. Um, great. I love the Ukrainians who did that. But, you know, there are going to be more supply chain issues you have to think about. So you're going to have to look at supply chain risk management challenges where you're going to figure that out. Uh, I think you're going to have to start thinking about bigger geopolitical risks. What if the Russian economy collapses? I suspect that is going to happen within days. If maybe they'll be lucky if they last a week. Um, but if it collapses, that will re have repercussions beyond Russia. I don't think they'll be that severe. Um, you'll have to think about all sorts of long-term stuff like that. And eventually, you will have to start thinking about geopolitical risks as you acclimate to the new uh, economic opportunities that will eventually arise out of this. If you are a Texas oil business going to start shipping into Poland, Poland is a good country. I like Poland. I like the EU. It is still not the most clean business in the world or clean country in the world. You will have corruption risks around Poland. You'll have to think about things like that. You're, they're all going to come online. Um, but, you know, you can just take it from what comes first and then what's going to come next. And you can work your way through it. But there's going to be a lot. Matt, a little bit earlier, you alluded to the devastation of the Russian economy with this second level of sanctions, including things like uh, blocking SWIFT uh, transactions, not allowing credit card payments, Apple Pay, et cetera. How do you, why do you see that as such a significant level of sanctions beyond the first round that we got last week on trade control? Uh, I think the uh, most important thing that they have done is they have sanctioned the Russian central bank and frozen all of Russia's foreign currency reserves. Not all, but a sizable amount of Russia's foreign currency reserves. Russia is going to run out of money probably by the end of the week, I think. Maybe others will disagree with me, but I think it's going to have a sovereign default already. The Russian central bank has had to raise interest rates from 9% to 20%. Um, that is going to lead to banks running out of money. They're going to run out of dollars first, and they're going to run out of rubles. You're going to see rampant inflation. You're going to see, I think, considerable job losses. And Russia is also, like every other country in the world, suffering through inflationary pressures. So in particular, if you want to get really a geopolitical lens on this, if you see the price of food in the eastern part of Russia, which is already rising at a brisk and uncomfortable pace, if that price increase in food starts to go right up through the roof, way out in the Far East, and you've got mass unemployment and nothing coming out of the ATMs in Moscow and St. Petersburg, so you've got protests going on here, and you're still in a military stalemate with Ukraine, and NATO is throwing up a gigantic military defense force at the Poland-Bulgarian um, border, like... This, I don't see what Vladimir Putin's viable off-ramp is. I don't think he thought through any of that. And the Russian economy is really going to be pulverized. The, the closest analogy is probably going to be when it defaulted on its debt in 1998. 
And that was not at all a good time for Russia. It was widespread poverty. It was one of the things that people trusted Vladimir Putin would be able to fix. And he built his reputation on, I can keep this economy going. He's going to erase all of that in a matter of days. And then I think after that, I I don't know when that goes from economic dislocation to civil unrest and political protests, but I'm hard-pressed to see that he'll be able to turn that economic stuff off before the political stuff starts. So, Matt, you used a phrase a little bit earlier, the rule of law. And I want to use that phrase to explore two very different ideas. The first is that uh, business. How can businesses trust that uh, they can do business with Russian companies if it's run by a regime which has no respect for the rule of law, will invade a country really for no reason, uh, not just any reason, but for no reason? Uh, And then let me contrast that with China. And I understand it's very, very different calculus, but China seems to believe they can defeat the United States and the West literally on uh, the playing field of commerce. Uh, Their Belt and Road Program and other economic initiatives are designed to try to show the rest of the world that the Chinese way is a better way. And you should come with us because we're going to make you better off economically and financially. But part of that is based also on the rule of law. Um, that they'll loan money, they'll engage in construction, they'll sign a contract, and their word will be of some value going down the road. How do you see really those two very different, and I understand they're very different, um, scenarios playing out around this concept of the rule of law? Well, I think actually with Russia, that's a pretty simple thing. You can't trust them, period. That, that's the end of the sentence right there. You cannot trust Russia. Vladimir Putin lies. There. And... I feel bad for the Russians who I do know, and I know a few compliance professionals in Russia, for the record, when I've spoken with them, to a person, they're horrified at what Vladimir Putin has done. One in particular told me that uh, they cannot sleep right now because they feel like the blood of Ukrainian uh, civilians is on their own hands. And I had to tell that person, I, I don't think that's true at all. And I don't think Americans believe that. I think Americans and Europeans believe the blood of all of this is on Vladimir Putin's hands. Um, and then also everybody I know in Russia, I don't know many, but those who I've communicated with, they're all terrified at the economic crisis that is going to come upon them. Um so it's to a certain extent, it's easy to deal with Russia because, you know, they lie and they cannot be trusted. Full stop. That's it. Now, to your point about China, I think it is much more complex. I think what China is witnessing in Russia now, today as of Monday, is very different than what they would have expected a week ago. And I think what they're going to see in Russia is giving them a long pause about how do you get to throw your weight around in this world? Because clearly Russia tried to, and it has been nothing less than a disaster for Vladimir Putin. At best, he is going to butcher tens of thousands of people, spend the precious little money he still has left on an occupation that he can't afford, that his people won't want, for something that is kind of going to be sort of like Iraq or Afghanistan, the worst of those things that we did there all together, all at once, right on your own doorstep, not even on the other side of the world. So I think that there is no good outcome for Vladimir Putin. The best scenario he has is still going to be horrible. And I think the worst of it is probably going to, I question whether he's going to retain power. But for China, 
I think this is going to give them more pause about how they do engage with the West. They have far more economic interests than Russia does, far more economic interests with the United States and with Europe and the rest of the world where they can't muck that up recklessly. If they muck that up recklessly and ruin our economy, theirs will go down with it. And then they're right back to the domestic unrest in China that they absolutely will never tolerate. So they are, I think they're going to slow roll it. Now, if they want to engage in the, I don't know, the, the realm of commerce and see if they can make better products than us, okay, fine. If they can come up with a pill that cures cancer, I'm all for it. I don't care who comes up with the pill. Um, you know, if they want to put a man on Mars, knock themselves out, I guess. I do think that there's still a lot of trouble with the rule of law there. But there's still a lot of trouble with the rule of law and corruption, even just within China. People have to realize a lot of Chinese don't like the corruption in China, let alone that we on the outside who get even more of it from higher up in the party. Um, so I, I think that that is – I think what the debacle we have seen with the Ukraine is going to make any tensions with China play out longer. They're not going to go away. China still sees itself as like we're going to get to be the ones who run the 21st century and – Perhaps 80 years from now, that will be true. 80 years from now, I'm not going to be here. Neither are you, neither are most people listening. But here today, I think China says, okay, we can't do that because Putin tried it and he screwed it up. And we're not going to do that ourselves. That's all you can say about it at the moment. Matt, I'm not sure there's a conclusion to this podcast. Um, Maybe we can come back and revisit this uh, a little bit down the road. I'm sure we'll both be writing about this uh, as well. Uh, we're going to link to your pod, uh, your excuse me, your blog because you have several sites uh, listed where people can um, go and uh, provide some sort of assistance. So I look forward to uh, continuing this conversation. Thank you, Tom. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. I hope you will check out my latest podcast series on the Compliance Podcast Network. The podcast is called ESG Compliance. And in this podcast series, I take a deep dive into the intersection of ESG and compliance. If you're a compliance professional or you're an ESG aficionado, this will be the podcast for you. It's available on the Compliance Podcast Network beginning February 8th. I hope you'll join Matt and I again next week for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.